Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect, committed to change. Linton Mortensen, welcome to the Ocean Protect podcast. Delighted to be here. Thanks very much, Brad. <laughs> My goodness, you've got a, a hell of a swimming pedigree, which we're going to delve into the detail, but you've just swam around Lord Howe Island. And I know, Linton, you're a bit of a uh, avid listener of the Ocean Protect podcast. Is that is that correct? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, you, you guys just do an amazing job. Love the banner, but more importantly, the message that is being delivered in relation to the plastic crisis and climate issues and fascinating to listen to the scientists and the experts and uh, help point us in the right direction. As you know, William, we always get a bit of a backstory of all our guests. And uh, whilst it's almost like you've got this sort of uh, secret identity, you've got this extraordinary swimming pedigree, but your, your Clark Kent persona is actually, you're a managing partner at HBM Lawyers. So you're, you're a, a lawyer? A lawyer by trade. My, my dear old dad, he was a lawyer, did my articles with him and continued in the firm. It's been going since 1946 now. Wow. I haven't been around since 1946, so I might look like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, can I tell you, the last sort of footage I saw of you, Linton, so, so we should actually clarify, we've actually crossed paths before, haven't we? Yeah, we have indeed with the amazing world record holder of the English Channel Crossing in Trent Grimsey, who yeah. has a, an extraordinary pedigree, great ocean uh, swimmer and uh, outstanding coach after his retirement from the going out on top of the English Channel. But I, I trained with Trent for uh, quite a number of years and met your good self and many other champions mm. gone on to do their own crossings of various channels. Yeah, and, and you used to – I think you typically swam in the lunchtime squad, didn't you, Linton? But you occasionally made a guest appearance at the early morning squad? Yeah, I, I think when I was in the early days, I was probably a little bit more enthusiastic to the 4 a.m. starts, but uh, that, that, that dwindled. Yeah, I was more, more of a lunchtime with the sun out sort of thing. And uh, I think when Trent sort of, I was a bit, missed a few training sessions for a while. And when he said, oh, don't worry about it, mate, you, you'll always get across anything. And that sort of resonated with me. So don't worry too much about missing them. There's nothing wrong with not wanting to swim in a, in a pool at four o'clock in the morning. Just so you know, Linton. So, you know, lunchtime squads are always yeah. far more appealing, that's for sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll always uh, look for an ocean swim anytime, though. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's my um, place to go and relax. 
But look, uh, what you say that, you say you, you like to swim to relax, but my Lord, done a lot of swims that would hardly seem relaxing. So, And you're probably too modest to sort of talk about some of these accolades, so I'm going to do it for you. Hope you don't mind. But you're actually the first Australian, and from what I understand, the 12th person in the world to complete the Ocean 7, and I'll get you to explain what that is in a sec. Uh, you're also, from what I understand, the first person to complete the Australian Triple Crown, and you're actually one of the inaugural inductees into the Australian Marathon Swimming Hall of Fame. I mean, that's a big, you're a big deal, let's face it. <laughs> Mate, I only get my own lunchtime, I think. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you, 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 you talk about those accolades, but I'm very fortunate. I think marathon swimming is probably the best team sport mm. that I've ever had the fortune of playing. I call it playing because it's, it's such a team effort. I mean, you've got the logistics with the organisers beforehand, your boat crew, getting it all together. It's, it's a, a massive exercise. I'm just a bloke who rolls the arm over and more often than not fortunate to get there in the end. But yeah, it's, it's been a wonderful, wonderful journey. Man, it's probably only been going for about, I don't know, uh, eight or so years. Yeah, yeah, because uh, I think am I right in saying when you did the Ocean Seven, which I'll which I'll get you to explain in a sec, but you did it over two, a two year period or thereabouts. Yeah, I think it's a, the fastest that the, the Ocean Sevens has been done by anyone in touch over a two year period. We should explain what is the Ocean Seven. The Ocean Sevens is a, a group of swims designed by an American, Steve Manatane, is so a, a great coach and swimmer himself. And he had the idea of the, with the equivalent of the seven hardest peaks to climb in the world mm. with, you know, Eris K2, et cetera. So he decided to come up with what he considered to be the hardest seven ocean channel swims in the world. And they've all got their, 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 their challenges, some extreme colds, some extreme swells, marine life, you name it, it's there. It's a, it's, it's a pretty fluid process. You have to be fairly adaptable to, to the environment. I, I call it like going chameleon when, whenever we go on any swim. You just uh, blend into your environment and adapt to uh, what's going on. Just to answer your question, Brad, with the, well, what are the Ocean Sevens? Probably easier for me to name them the order I did them in. Strata Gibraltar, so that's from uh, Spain to uh, Morocco, sort of noted for its orcas and hammerheads and a few interesting bits of wildlife. I, th- I think we saw the odd hammerhead go past on the way down. That was in September 2016, 15th to be exact, passing my dear old mum. Yeah. And then English Channel was the next one, which was a, a birthday swim on 30 June 2017. Oh, wow. These are all sort of stepping stones mm. onto the North Channel, which I did two weeks later. Which I think is probably, I think it's about the quickest turnaround that's been done between swims. So, if the English Channel's regarded as the, they call that the Mount Everest of uh, swims, the North Channel's the the, the K two. Is it's it's got it all. It's just your your your, your sluggers, your budgie smugglers, a, a <laughs> pair, pair of goggles and uh, a cap and uh, a tepid. 12 degrees was the water temperature. So it's, I think it's only got about a 30, 40% or about a 30% success rate, the uh, North Channel for, for one, one's hypothermia affects a lot of people. And I, I describe it as a 30K warm-up and a 5K sprint into the cliffs because there's a massive amount of pushback you get from the from the coast and big tides. So, yeah, that, that was a fairly brutal one, the, the, the North Channel. It's a 35K swim in 12-degree water. And that is absolutely freezing. I remember being in Vancouver when I had a wetsuit on and and I remember it was like 14 degrees and I felt as though my, I had a swim cap on and felt like my brain was being sucked out of my head. (laughs) And and you're you're 12 degree water for 35 kilometers 
and you're in nothing but a swim cap and a pair of budgie smugglers. It is unbelievable. Yeah, you nailed it there, uh, Brad. And I, I think with the North Channel, it's as much, if not more, a mental swim than a physical swim. I think, you know, the physical has to be a given. Done the training, you don't turn up unprepared for the North Channel, otherwise she'll she'll turn you back very quickly. But even being fully prepared for it, it's it's really a mental game out there, especially when that cold is you know seeping down to the to your bones and it's quite brutal. But it, it was it was a special one that one too because mm. I mean I've done a few of my swims involving charities and for the North Channel it was where I was carrying forty, so I was carrying uh, forty poppies that I, I laid at the beginning of the swim and then laid another 40 at the end of the swim to remember those that had made the ultimate sacrifice for mm. us. And especially, you know, I think it was at the time of the Af- Afghanistan with a lot of the returned soldiers and struggling with mental health issues as well. So mm. I, I had it pretty easy out there compared to, you know, men and women of our country. Well, one, one sort of factor that I think you've maybe deliberately forgotten about, maybe, maybe it's just blacked out of your memory, but the line's main... Uh, jellyfish in the North Channel. Yeah, look, they're, 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 they're the size of garbage bin lids, some of them. Tentacles can get up to about 30, 40 feet long for the real real big boys and girls. The pilot who took me across, Podrick Mellon from the Fabulous Infinity crew, just amazing. I've, I've developed a great friendship and done many swims with Podrick and Milo and Jacqueline and the, the rest of the great Irish crew. And I think before my Irish from an old channel swim, I said, well, where should I do a warm-up? And he sent me down to a harbour. I said, what about the Lions, mate? He said, oh, don't worry about it, mate. You, you, there's none there. And, of course, I got in and I swam and I got hit many a time and I got back to him and I called him a few choice words and he said, oh, I just wanted to see whether you're right for the swim. He said, you're right. <laughs> but, look, they don't, they don't tickle, do they? They really give you a good sting. Yeah, look, they, they, they give you a little bit of a whipping. I swim on the Gold Coast a lot, and I, I've, I've been beaten up by the Blue Bottles many times mm. over the years. So from from that perspective, uh, I think I was conditioned to it. It's, it's kind of like the least of your worries. And, and if anything, if I got a stung, it sort of took your mind off the bloody cold <laughs> <laughs> from that point of view. So I sort of kind of welcomed it from that perspective. I'll probably tell you about a couple more. Uh, sting is much worse. I, I, I know, uh, I know I'm here. Yeah, I've got some inside information on you, uh, Linton. So this is heavily researched uh, uh, conversation. Don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> so that was, I was incredibly proud of that swim for, for the, mm. the cause that we were doing it for and the support that we got as well. And, and you talk about the, you know, the, the, the Grimsy uh, crew always supporting all the swimmers. It's uh, part of the fun. And then we kicked on 2017. Was September was the Catalina Channel, which is mm. off the coast of California to Palos Verdes and Calorina Island was uh, set up by the, the chewing gum man, Mr. Wrigley, Wrigley Chewing Gum. Are you too young for that? Do you remember that, Brad? <laughs> I remember chewing gum. Yeah, well, I thought it was yeah, Okay. No, Wrigley, <laughs> but anyway. Don't like these boys' good looks for you, Linton. You know, I, I do have a few years behind me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but that was a cracking swim, beautiful um, place. It's got a name for its the Great Whites. And mm. when we arrived there, I, I – actually arrived sick as a dog. I, I spent the first three or four days in bed and I thought, oh, no way in the world I'm going to be able to do this swim. Yeah. And the family are out gallivanting around enjoying uh, <laughs> LA and Huntington. And then I think it was about a day before the swim and my wife said to me, she said, no, you'll be right, you'll be right. I said, okay, well, okay, I will be then. <laughs> and then we, we, we went and did it and I limped across the line. And I was just so spent on that one because I still wasn't 100%. And I remember swimming through the kelp and just literally crawling up 
crawling up the beach on my hands and knees because I had nothing left and I was trying to stand up and I remember Paddle like, calling out to me, forget your bloody dignity, just crawl up, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> we had a few sea lions keepers company on that one early on. That was a, a bit yeah. of entertainment. And then the one, the, the swim I'm probably proudest of, I mean, I've been fortunate on the Ocean Sevens that I, I completed all, all of my swims first go and the only, only one that, is the exception to that is is the Kiwi Channel or uh, Molokai Channel mm. or as they call it the Channel of Bones from Molokai to Oahu and that was a uh, another birthday swim the second time around at least and I was meant to go for 30 June and about three weeks before that I stood on a stonefish down at Snapper Rocks on the Gold Coast and mm. I was with another mate of mine old Cam and uh <laughs> He thought it would be a good idea to rub my toe into the sand to relieve the pain. Well, <laughs> all that managed to do was uh, push the spike further in that it broke. Oh, wow. And, look, the, the pain is just nothing like you could imagine. I, I, I was in intensive care for two days, ketamine in one arm and morphine in the other arm. I remember the family turning up and telling my wife and daughter just to go away because I didn't want them to see me wow. in the, the, the pain. And then I remember the ketamine and uh, – Telling him, I said, "Can you turn it off?" I said, "I'm just having a really bad trip with a lot of pain." So, (laughs) (laughs) and then the doctor said, "Well, you got to stay out of the the water for a couple of weeks with bacterial infections, etc." And I said, "Well, I got the big swim coming up." And he said, "Well, see how we go." And then, lo and behold, I got a phone call about a week before I was meant to a week earlier from when we planned to fly with the family, saying. The window that you've got for your swim is going to be blown out with the trade winds, but if you can get here within the next 36 hours, we can do this, we think. And I thought, well, I'm sitting in the office at work, not prepared anything, and then uh, I spoke to one of my partners. She said, well, why you go? (laughs) You know you're going to go. Literally (laughs) jumped in the car, phoned, phoned my wife, Lisa, and said, oh, can you get one of the boys? You know, we've got to get a flight out the next morning. So she changed all the flights for me and one of my sons who had uh, finished his uni exams and was having a few drinks. So I told him to sober up. And, uh, wow. wow. <laughs> and we, we, so we jumped on the plane next morning, Sydney through to uh, Oahu, and then a connecting flight from Oahu to Molokai. And then in the meantime, uh, the connecting flight, we had our gear. So we go over to a cabbie and try to explain to him that, can you just drop it at this hotel and, you know, I'll pick it up when I get back from the swim. This swim is, is not short, is it? It's it's forty two. No, it's forty five. Yeah, forty two. Yeah, yeah. No, forty two. But I mean, I, with the swim, I think I, mine ended up being forty five because you get pushed around by currents. But yeah, not 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 uh, a short swim by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. And then we landed on Molokai and then the in the small plane got picked up in a cab, cab to the beach. That was about you know forty forty five minutes. No no food, no preparation, and then the boat was coming in from Wahoo, hadn't even met the pilot or the, the captain. And then my son crammed me up and then it was about five o'clock in the afternoon. The paddler came in and said to Lachlan, my, my lad, he said, oh, you, you're going to have to swim out to the boat to get on the boat. So mm-hmm. <laughs> Lockie swam out to the boat and then they said, well, when you're ready, we start. And that was wow. it. So literally, literally off the plane after all that flying, straight down the beach, crammed up and then we jumped in the ocean and swam through the whole night. And big swells in, in Hawaii, yet waves, you know, were breaking on us at times. I had an amazing crew supporting me as always. And then mm. one of the things that sort of indelibly etched on my memory is the Milky Way. 
you're out there in the, the middle of the Pacific, no lights, no nothing, just total darkness. And that kept me entertained for, for, for hours on end, just looking at this you know, incredible Milky Way like nothing you've ever seen. Uh, in Australia, it was um, quite you know, humbling and, and spiritual to be and once again privileged to be out there. Yeah. But anyway, we we, 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 got, we swam through the whole night and then we got within about, oh, I think, somewhere between four and five k's of shore. And it was that first hint of light. That's the old story. Never, never get ahead of yourself. Just be present in the moment. But I actually got ahead of myself because I was just replaying that this whole ridiculous thing that I've got this phone call with work, and then within yeah. you know twenty four hours, I'm all these planes, and then all of a sudden in the ocean, and then you know I've, I've swum through the whole night, managed it, and we got you know three to five k's to go. And I thought, well, another hour or two, and we're all over. And I was, I was, I was working out my big breakfast, and I. <laughs> it's a different. It's a different breakfast to what you eat, Brad. I, 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 I know, mate. But well, yeah, your, your partner in crime probably would have appreciated what I had in mind. But it was your big classic breakfast, and then no sooner did that happen, it was that first hint of light, and uh, I got two dogs, jellyfishes, wrapped around my legs, and that was probably like being electrocuted and then someone rubbing soldering iron over you at the same time. And I sort of regrouped and thought, oh, I just got to finish this thing. It's just crazy what I've been through. I just got to mm. go through that pain threshold. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And then after wiping away a tear or two, started swimming again. And then I got more box jellyfish under my armpits and then straight across my stomach and then literally my whole body shut down. I just sort of I got Irukanji syndrome. They Jeez. sort of pulled me out of the water and, you know, had the sort of projectile vomiting and shaking uncontrollably in the eyes and the back of the head and the blood leaves your, your extremities and goes to your vital organs. So yeah, your hands and feet I describe it as someone like smashing your hands and feet with hammers or mallets. Mm. The, the pain there. Anyway, so I had the had the ambulance waiting for us back at the harbour and straight to intensive care again for a, a reboot on the morphine. Is that the jellyfish that makes you have this in you know sense of doom? As well, is that is that the one that you got stung? Well, in? yeah, well, the box the box jellyfish will it'll kill you. Yeah. But I think there's a sort of emotional thing it does as well. Like I think some victims really feel as though the the world is caving in on them, type thing. Like it's oh yeah, I mean it's it's yeah, the world is caving in. You've been that <laughs> I mean, I, I literally had a tear in my eye in, in the water. It was a pain, and the, and I I swore to myself at that time I will never ocean swim again. Wow. I made that commitment. I just went, I'll never <laughs> ocean swim again. <laughs> so the- anyway, 
So, so, so <laughs> 10 days later. 10 days. So ten, I was going to say 10, ten days, days later. later. <laughs> You're a man of your word, Linton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I got discharged and then went back to the hotel with my son and had a rum and cake or two. And then I remember my dear wife, she, she, my son phoned my wife and she got on the phone. She said, so when are you going again? I'm in intensive care on morphine. I said, oh, just too soon, too soon. Wow. But we did. We, we found out the window, ironically, presented on the day of my birthday. Now, that's quite an emotional swim, the second one. I don't think I sort of fully processed you know, the, the whole event. Yeah. And I, I got to meet an incredible scientist who's a sort of world leader in all things box jellyfish, Dr. Angel Yanagari, who's the scientist at the Hawaiian uh, University there. And she actually does work with the, the military and the special forces and mm. has created this barrier cream that helps nullify the effect of the stings. So she loaded me up with that for the – the second swim, and I got hit within uh, – actually, I, yeah, when we got down to the beach, I, 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 I don't know, just this wave of emotion came over me, probably because of what had happened mm. and built up. And I had to take the big breath and then went in and started swimming, and within an hour I got stung over the arm by a box. And I just said, oh, God, yeah, I can't believe this. But anyway, the, the, the cream, sort of she said, it'll take about an hour or so, and it, it did and sort of swam through it. And I got stung, I think, another uh, once or twice, but then – Anyway, we, we, we finished the swim. I had my amazing uh, family, you know, the, there for Lisa and Nick were on the crew and Angie and Lockie waiting at the shore for uh, when I got in. I, I don't think I've roared so loud at the end of a swim. It took about, what, 15 hours thereabouts? Yeah, yeah, that one was probably, yeah, I think it was roughly around about 15, 15 hours for that. Yeah, 14 hours, 49, apparently. Mm. Yeah, there you go. So that was... That was sort of close to 100 k's in about 10 days, with uh, a few, a few a bit of sea life calling. <laughs> and actually, Angel, the, the doctor said, she said, "Oh, you're actually lucky to get through that alive because the, the your platelets from the stonefish, your platelets would have been shot from that." So I was fortunate to come back and finish that one off. And then uh, Sugaru was uh, over in Japan. Was a, was a sixth one, dear old dad's birthday, and managed to get that one. First go, so that was in about nine and a half hours or so. It's similar sort of a distance. I think that one was roughly about 30, 30 k's as it you know comes out with being pushed around with the tides. Mm-hmm. It's much shorter than that in the direct line, but so many people get you get the you know massive current you know pushing pushing you through across, and if you don't get through that current, you you you're gone. So I was lucky on that one, and then Cook Strait was the final one. The uh, our friends across the ditch, and, they, um, and had the had the amazing Phil Rush. Uh, he still got the world record for the uh, triple crossing of the English Channel and the double crossing of the English Channel. An extraordinary swimmer himself. So I had Phil guide me across there, and took me three three goes at that to get there. And that's just because of the conditions. Which you start in Windy Wellington. She's she's windy for a reason. So two two weeks, the conditions were were, were no good. So we you know. Had a two-week holiday, effectively, and then Phil said he'd give me a call if the conditions are right, if I do a fly-in, fly-out, which we did, and then hmm. got to the harbour and within about an hour in, in ripped the wind, so that was over. And then the third time, I think it's the the, the latest crossing for that one. It was about November because it's getting you know, getting a bit cooler as well. So we, we got there, started, pretty good conditions to begin with, but 
I think about oh, three quarters way across, we were swimming on the same spot for too long. And Phil said, look, mate, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to call the swim because we're yeah. just not going anywhere and uh, the currents are not helping us out. And I, I explained to um, Phil in very clear language that that wasn't <laughs> going to happen. He wasn't left in any doubt that I was finishing the swim. But he did say, I'll give you an hour, otherwise it's over. And and sort of hearing that, I thought, oh, I sort of almost resigned myself. Well, he's decided just give me an hour. He's just toying with me. And I sort of flopped the one arm over and flopped the other arm over. And I thought, no, bugger it. I'm just going to give it everything. Wow. Felt like a sprint to me, which is probably slow motion to everyone else. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and but, but you could just see him all of a sudden. He's throwing his t-shirt around and waving oh, wow. and punching the air, and and we we make progress. And I thought, oh, fantastic! And we came to the feed, and I said, so we're broken through. And he said, oh yeah, mate, that's fantastic. And I said, well, what do we do? And he, uh, he said, that's five hundred meters, bloody forty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> just keep swimming. <laughs> yeah, so we we broke through that, but the last three. We, we got hit by the current coming down the island from the, the, the Brothers Island. And, you know, three Ks, you'd, you'd hope to be sort of about an hour, but it, I think it took close to three hours to do the last three Ks just to um, inch in, inch in. So in some ways, it was a perfect way to finish the Ocean Sevens as, mm. as, as hard as it could, could possibly be for me and unceremoniously sort of thrown up on a cliff ledge to... <laughs> 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 it's been hairy getting out because it's night time when we finished and uh, wow. yeah, there's a lot of, lot of movement. It doesn't really make for a great Instagram photo, does it, to Linton? Because you're sort of, <laughs> you know, you're, you're covered in, you know, cuts and grazes and, you know, vomit yeah. and snot and, but, and stings yeah. and you're in a pair of budgie smugglers and you just, yeah. Yeah, it's plenty, plenty of funny <laughs> stories walking around here. Sometimes you'd almost get arrested, I think, so... <laughs> Oh wow! But look, in all, in all, all, all said and done, first Australian to do the Ocean Seven, I think twelfth of all time across the planet to do it. And look, you know, this isn't your job. You're not a professional swimmer, and to do it is just unbelievable. Really, it's and there's so as you sort of alluded to, there's so many unknowns. You know, the logistics, the uh, the timing, the currents, the weather, the the marine life. There's so many things that can just skittle plans. And as I'm sure we both know, like so many people just try and do the English Channel as one example, and they they often just don't have they they book a window and they just often don't get it because the the conditions just aren't right. So to do all seven. That, that's that's right, and I mean I'm, I'm fortunate with work. I, I sort of travelled to London a couple of times a year, and I was able to try and sort of swims in around that side of things. I mean, but you talk about, I mean, yeah, Bristol Channel's another one that I've been trying to do for for years, but I've been there twice now and couldn't get across because of the conditions. So, yeah. Your most recent swim is this incredible Lord Howe Island swim, and it was all around raising money for one key charity. So how did this Lord Howe Island swim sort of come about? Yeah, well, Lord, Lord Howe's been a place probably prior to my swimming I've always wanted to go to. It's, you know, sort of World Heritage listed marine park. And then uh, with with a lot of these swims, I, I consider myself very fortunate and privileged to participate and have such great support and we've done a couple of as i say i've mentioned the going forward another another one we did was the children's hospital on some of the swims and probably from listening to to a, a lot of your podcasts brad as well sort of really resonated with me i mean mm. you're aware that there's a plastic issue mm. but the extent of that didn't dawn on me till you know so many of your great uh, people that you've interviewed and and, and just 
what a crisis it is. It's not just mm. like, oh, we've got a plastic problem. It's a crisis. I mean, our, our, our ocean's being suffocated and, you know, here here we are out enjoying the ocean and swimming at it. And I thought, well, if we can do something to contribute and help with it, uh, great. And I remember listening to Dr. Jennifer Lavers, who you, who you had on, who's mm. uh, quite, an, quite an inspiring lady, what she does, you know, the Drowning in Plastics documentary, if you haven't seen that, anyone, I, I absolutely commend you to that. But, yeah, Jen was extraordinary. So we partnered up with you know, the Institute of Marine and Arctic uh, Studies out of the University of Tasmania with her organisation, the Adrift Lab, which you, you're mm. very well familiar mm. with and the great work they do. And with Dr Ian Hutton, who's one of the scientists uh, on the island, who I was uh, fortunate to meet with. Also, Dr Alex Bond over in the UK and Megan Grant, one of the uh, PhD candidates as well. So oh, I wanted to do this swim anyway and then having listened to your good self and Jen and seen her things, I thought, well, you know, maybe it's something I can do to help contribute to um, wow. the great work that's been I, done on the I didn't, this. I didn't know this at all. So our little podcast was a little bit of an inspiration to sort of bring up where the drift and yeah, – Yeah, and I, I just I just dropped her a line and just said, look, I've, I've seen this. I'm going to do this <laughs> swim anyway. And, look, you know, if, if, you, if you'd like me to try and – help raise some money for you. I'm happy to do so. And she she came back and she said, Well I've I've we've we've had artists and actors, but we've never had a swimmer. So Jen came up with uh, calling it the the day of thirty. So it was roughly thirty K swim around the island. So we thought we'd try and create something just more than the swim. So Alex is is one of the one of the team there. He he ran thirty Ks in nine degrees over in the UK and Jen and her team were out pulling out uh, 30 noxious uh, plants and weeds in Tasmania and planting 30 Australian natives. My fabulous pilot, I'll, I'll talk about soon, Jack Schick, he's planting 3,000 native seedlings on uh, his property on, on, on Lord Howe as well. And and I don't know whether you were there for it, but the RMC team, yeah, you were yeah. there for the, yeah. Yeah, did, did the 3050s. I think uh, I'm glad I wasn't there for that. I heard me talking around Lord Howe. <laughs> 3050s with, I think, most of the set, we actually had uh, plastic yeah, tied around our feet to sort of, you know, as a bit of a tip of the hat to the the plastic dramas that are encountered at, at yeah. Orco Island and other areas. So, yeah, quite confronting to to hear that on your podcast, and also to actually see it. Those horrific mm. photographs mm. of the the, the skeleton mm. of the birds with the, the plastic sitting inside, and then to find out that the you know the, the the mothers and fathers who mistake plastic in the ocean as food and pick it up and take it back, feed it to their chicks. And so by the time the fledglings are ready to go, they've got, you know, somewhere between 100 to 200 pieces of bits of plastic, which is, um, you know, apart from the mm. malnutrition, you know, the weight of it as well. So, so many don't make it. But it was, it was quite extraordinary being there on the island too because, you know, a cursory look around some of the places, it's just – and it's extraordinary. I, just, I think I described it as being mm. Jurassic Park meets Atlantis. But if you if you delve into a few nooks and crannies, it's sad to see the amount of plastic that is waved – Washed into uh, the crevices of the you know the lava rocks. I think we 
when we went picking around one of the rocks at Ned's Beach and came out with, you know, uh, a, a bin worth of uh, plastic that pulled out, and that's just the way of action. So the islanders themselves are incredible with their waste management and uh, what they do. So this is just sort of washed mm. in from the ocean and reflective of what happens with the uh, poor old shearwaters who we were fortunate enough when we were there to um, see the parents looking after the chicks they they burrow into the grounds up in the up mm. in the hills and you you learn to give a good personation of a shearwater bird on the island but it goes something like pick me pick me pick me pick me pick me <laughs> they're the clumsiest and most ungainly looking birds on land that you've ever seen but but on out on the ocean they they're just uh, majestic and quite magnificent the way they just glide mm. and fly over the ocean. But, yeah, so, so it's sort of I, – I thought that was really uh, yeah. frightening that this is happening. In the, and this is in the middle of the you know, Pacific Ocean, all the Tasman yeah. Sea, and, and all this plastic being washed around the world with the gears coming in. So, yeah, we've got to, uh, got to do something about this. And, you know, Jennifer and her team and so many others that you've had on your show are doing mm. precisely that. So I don't have the uh, scientific intellectual know-how, but I thought, well, if I can help raise some funds to assist them, well, you know, I'll, I'll do yeah. it with the swim. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. Episodes are released weekly and the next episode will feature part two of this chat. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.